Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 106. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot, post it to your social media stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. And if you are listening on the iTunes podcast app, please feel free to leave us a rating and potentially write us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. But without further ado, let's get cracking into this Q&A episode. So Jack, hit me with the first question. Awesome. So this one says, how to track progress in the off season? This is a great question, you know, because I feel like people are really good at tracking their progress when they're going through a dieting phase, right? But I feel like they let the rain slip a little bit when it comes to the improvement season or pretty much any other phase that doesn't necessarily involve losing weight. (laughs) Mm. And it can be understandable from a few standpoints like the off season. And we're talking about people who are strict bodybuilders, like I guess we might fall in that category. Mm -hmm. And then people who just want to make improvements and get bigger and stronger and stuff like that. So the thing with the off season is that it can be quite long. So like even three, four years, five years, depending on the individual. And you can easily get stuck into just the wheels go round and you don't think too much about it. Mm-hmm. And basically that's not good from a progress standpoint because you need those tangible landmarks in terms of, am I actually making progress? Because if you've got a layer of body fat over you, which you should, because that's healthy, (laughs) it can be difficult to see any of the changes in muscularity. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, you know, what would be some of your best tips for actually tracking your progress during an off season or during an improvement season? So I think for me, the most beneficial by quite a long way, to be honest, and it also helps in another other a few other departments as well is the logbook or your training sheets. And really, if you aren't tracking your training, that's obviously the first step. But the second step is ensuring that you're comparing mesocycles to mesocycles and ensuring that you're getting stronger over time or improving in volume. So for example, over a bench press, you might gain five kilos in a mesocycle or over six months, you want to make sure that you've gotten stronger in that movement or similar pressing movements. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the most fundamental things, right? And unfortunately, a lot of people, they do get a little bit slack with tracking their training, Mm. you know, like they take that first step and yeah, they get themselves to the gym, like, you know, one point for you. That's (laughs) awesome. You're there lifting some weights, right? And then maybe they'll take that second step where they're training, you know, a specific muscle group. They're like, oh, you know, today's leg day or, oh, you know, I'm doing an upper body session today. But the people who get the absolute best results are the most meticulous, right? They have a set training program and they have specific targets they're trying to hit. They're chasing numbers, right? They have specific exercises. They have a set number of sets that they're doing. They have a rep range. They know what weight they're going to lift. They're applying intensity, right? Like they're really trying to beat their previous week's performance. Mm. Yeah, and you'll notice here that we're using the term training and not exercise because Mm -hmm. In our mindset, there is a difference between the two. So training is very scheduled. It's routine-based. You have goals. It's documented. Whereas exercise, if I was to say, yeah, I'm going to the gym for some exercise, it would just mean like throwing a few weights around, getting a pump, getting a sweat on. But training is taking it to that next level, especially in terms of intensity, because 
like if, especially now in prep, like I'll exclude that because this is the off season question. But in the off season, if I threw on, let's say a hundred kilos onto the squat bar, I'll be like, yeah, this is tough. I can, uh, it feels tough for eight to 10 reps. Like I get a good leg pump from it. Yeah. You but, know, my heart rates up kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like squats is going to kind of feel hard no matter what. But in the off season, I was squatting 150. That's very different to a hundred kilos. So that's just an example of, of why I think documenting your training is so important. Yeah. Gosh, darn, you know, it is absolutely fundamental because, you know, unless you're actually tracking the numbers, you just fall into that cycle of, Oh, this is just the weight that I lift. You know, like when you get under some dumbbells for, you know, some dumbbell chest press, you know, you always grab the 25s cause that's just what you do. Mm. Right. But then you just fall into that rhythm before you know it, it's been two or three months. You've consistently been doing three sets of 12 with the 25s. <laughs> then finally one day, right? Someone's using your 25s and you're like, well, I'm not going to go down and wait. So you give the 27.5s a crack and you match reps and you're like, well, couldn't I have done this all along? I probably could have done this two months ago. Mm. Right? So gosh, darn record your numbers. You know, yeah. we, uh, we use some Excel spreadsheets, right? But, uh, you know, you, as long as you're tracking them in a book, you know, or a fancy app or whatever it may be, right? Like, yeah, really track those numbers. And I think one of the most important reasons why you need to be tracking your training is because in the off season, in the improvement season, weight gain is going to be part of that, mm. right? And you want to make sure that your weight gain is correlated with increases in strength, right? You don't want to just be gaining weight and just maintaining numbers because that's not necessarily the best sign that you're actually placing down lean tissue. Mm. I think people often associate muscle gain with diet plan or they might think, okay, I'm going to hop on this diet plan and it's more about what the diet plan contains rather than the weight gain or rate of weight gain associated with that diet plan. You could be eating a great protein distribution, great protein choices, could be having fruits, vegetables, whole grains, dairy, the whole shebang, all your nutrients, which is excellent. But that is, unfortunately, that is separate to muscle gain. So you need a specific rate of gain in order to gain muscle maximally. So if you maintain your body weight, you're not going to gain as much muscle compared to someone who is gaining half a percent to 1.5% of their body weight per month. So yeah, I'm definitely not discrediting nutrition because that's incredibly important for fueling your workouts and health and protein quality, protein distribution, but you need a surplus. And if you don't, if you're not in a surplus in your off season, you're cutting yourself short and we are using the term off season here. So we're assuming that you are kind of like a more, someone who does actually want to maximize muscle gain. Yeah. Unless, you know, you're at the very beginning of your health and fitness journey, right? Then you can potentially eke out, you know, some yeah. of those gains from just maintaining weight, pushing for body recomposition. But again, I feel like the audience that we're speaking to and pretty much speaking to each other and speaking to ourselves. Yeah. You know, when you're in your off season, hell yeah. Weight gain is a part of that. Right. Mm. And that's another thing that you need to track because that is a part of your progress. You need to track your body weight. Right. So similar to how, if you're in a dieting phase, right, you're usually taking a morning fasted body weight every day. You know, you're taking a weekly average. You're comparing that to the week before you and I do the exact same thing, no matter what phase we're in. Yeah, totally. And I guess I would probably rate body weight. Well, the thing is body weight gain is very objective. So we know it needs to happen and therefore it's, it's very easy to one, make it happen, but also document it 
And I think that leads us on to the third and potentially final point, which is progress photos and actually how you look itself. Mm -hmm. And this is the trickiest one for a number of reasons and probably the least reliable because one, your emotions come into play quite a lot. You could have bad days, good days. You could stand under good lighting, bad lighting. You could have a pump, no pump. So there's a lot of things to consider. And especially like you could hold all your fat around your midsection and hate that. Or you could hold it favorably and I don't know, your calves and your forearms <laughs> and be lean everywhere else. So it it really just does depend. Like I would just say take photos in the same situation, same lighting, same background. And over time, that's what Tierra and I do. You can compare them, but you just got to be realistic about how much you can see, especially as you continue to put on more weight and more body fat. Yeah, that is a really good point. Because remember, bodybuilding is, is a sport of illusions, mm. right? And generally, the leaner that you get and the more weight that you lose, right? And then if you've got a pump and you're tan and stuff like that and you're under the best lighting, you're actually going to look bigger despite actually weighing less and being a smaller human being. So it certainly is a sport of illusions, right? So you do have to get past that. But again, like you want to be documenting your journey. So absolutely, like we don't take progress photos in the improvement season nearly as often as we do in prep. Mm. Like let's be honest in prep, sometimes we're taking photos multiple times per day, <laughs> <laughs> but in the improvement season, you know, maybe take some photos every two weeks or every four weeks, right? And again, standardize these things. Wear something similar, wear the exact same thing. Stand in natural lighting against the same wall. Take the photo from the exact same angle so that you can compare these. And that's the coolest thing is actually comparing your body weight between different improvement seasons, right? Because you can say, oh cool, last time when I was in my improvement season, I was 68 kilograms, I looked like this. But hey, look, two years later, I'm 68 kilograms now, right? But I look completely different despite being the same body weight. So you definitely do have to get over that hump, but absolutely, you know, tracking progress photos, tracking your scale weight. And I think another huge thing is just tracking your nutrition, right? Just tracking everything. Cause again, it's very easy to become slack because like Jack mentioned at the start, right? Like your goal might be far away in the future. You might be stepping on stage in another two to three years from now, right? You're not stepping on stage in four weeks. So it's actually hard to hold yourself accountable to gosh knows what's going to be happening in the next three years, right? So then people just kind of fall into this rhythm of, oh, you know, I eat a pretty similar amount every day, so I don't really need to track, you know, so I'll just kind of eat, right? Or like, you know, uh, I, I'll maybe I'll step on the scale once a week kind of thing, see how things are going or, you know, like I'll just increase the weight of the gym when I'm feeling strong. Like, you know, mm. I know what my workouts are. I remember them kind of thing, but gosh, darn, you know, you just fall into that rhythm. And, uh, unfortunately after some time you will get left behind compared to other people who are being more meticulous. And remember, this is a goddamn competitive sport, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we've really done our best to answer this one and those are our top three I would say mm -hmm. we're just trying to be I guess being objective is our main goal here and I'm sure there are a few other little factors that people might look at and I'm not sure how objective they are they might be a little more subjective mm -hmm. yeah but uh let's move on to the next question cool Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Great. So this one says, favorite food combos, off-season and prep. 
Ooh, all right. Well, I want to hear, let's do off season first, right? What's your favorite food combination during the off season? So how do you want to answer this one? Are we going to do it more in terms of... I guess what's like, what's your favorite meal that you eat when you just have copious amounts of calories? <laughs> okay. So I think a lot of people already know the answer to this one. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be like my protein cake slash cream of wheat because it's so versatile and you can basically add anything you want to it. And yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to see a lot of other people on social media now making it and enjoying it. Because I guess, I don't know, we've been having it for so many years now, but it's kind of this last month, a lot of a lot of other people have started making it. Yeah, and I'm so glad people are making it correctly, right? Mm. So cream of wheat, guys, by the way, cream of wheat, you don't have to buy some special cream of wheat packet. Because some people are actually asking me, they're like, mm, where do you here. buy cream of wheat? It's literally just plain wholemeal flour. Right? Or self-raising. Or self-raising, uh, but pretty much just wholemeal flour, okay? Yeah. And you don't have to buy it in some fancy packet, right? And uh, also make sure that you're getting the wholemeal one because the fiber actually, not mm. only is it just more nutritious for you and more satiating, but it really helps with the texture as well and helps to thicken it up. Yeah. Yeah. So that would probably be off season. And the way I like for a recipe, you can head over to my Instagram and check out my Instagram reel. I have one there. You can also check out my refeed day on YouTube and I have a recipe there as well. Mm-hmm. But Basically, it's the basis flour. You just mix it with whatever you want, like water or milk. And then you can add protein for extra protein. Or you can add, if you want a higher calorie, I add like sultanas or some jam on top once it's cooked. They're very versatile. Some peanut butter on top as well. It's, uh, yeah, you can basically do any anything with it. Some people like adding some chop chips in there. It depends. So... That's probably it for the off-season. I'll let you do your off-season one as well. My off-season one. All right, well, this is one that I actually went wrong with this past improvement season that did make me gain quite a bit of weight (laughs) just because, unfortunately, the macros on Phila Lebanese breads are not correct. Mm, and they are Too good to be true. They are, and they're still a mystery to me. But hell, I enjoyed all those pizzas, right? So that's definitely my favorite meal. But essentially what I do is I take two wholemeal Lebanese breads and I layer them with... Italian passata, some smoky paprika, Italian herb, salt and pepper. And I like do two layers of those and then I microwave them so they're super hot. And then on top, I'll usually put, like I'll pan fry a bunch of mixed seafood. So like salmon and some prawns and some scallops, you know, and mussels and some fish, right? Just like different types of mixed seafood put that on top. And then I'll usually put a runny egg on there and I'll usually melt some blue cheese. I know that is a really funky meal, but boy, I'm in, I'm 11 days out right now. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of missed that thing. <laughs> and I just pick it apart with my fingers, right? That was definitely my favorite improvement season meal. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. When I will bring it back once the calories come back. <laughs> so I guess I'll head over onto my prep, prep meal. Mm-hmm. So for this, I'm going to have to give a slightly boring answer. It's just going to be my dinner, which is a load of veg. And I just cut that up, fry it up, and then add a protein source. Lately, it's um, it's been kangaroo for the whole of prep just because I need the iron in that. And add some seasoning. Lately, it's just been smoked paprika and some curry powder, salt, pepper. And sometimes I'll mix an egg through it or add an egg on top. But that's basically it. It's really simple. And I just like vegetables. It fills me up nicely throughout the night so I don't go to bed hungry. 
And like lately it's only been 400 to 500 calories, which is not a lot for me at all. So it does the job really well. Yeah. And you can literally eat that thing straight out of a pan with <laughs> yeah. a spoon, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot of food. Like it's probably, it's on average, maybe like 12 to 15 serves of veg. So for a, for a normal person, it it would be like feed a, feed a family, I would say. For as long as we've known each other, I feel like you've always eaten like just out of pans and trays. You know, like <laughs> when you used to cook potatoes, you just eat all your potatoes off this huge oven tray. You know, you eat pasta out of the pot. You're eating <laughs> your stir fries out of the pan. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you uh, have a good handle. <laughs> mm, just taking it old fashioned, you know? Yeah. Why, why waste an extra dish? Exactly. Right. Cause that's just something you got to wash. <laughs> yeah. But what about you? I think my favorite prep meal would definitely might be my breakfast, right? I look forward to my breakfast every day. It's uh, it's pretty much always the same, but it's just, it's large, it's satiating, it's my largest meal of the day. So pretty much with my breakfast, I always have a VPA egg white omelet. So just have VPA egg whites. I used to put actual like full fat cheese on there, but because my fats are lower, what I've actually started doing is putting cottage cheese in my egg white omelets. So freaking good guys, like cottage cheese. Just remember guys that we're in prep. So we would say that cardboard with some, I don't know, Vegemite on it tastes good. (laughs) Oh yeah, give me all of that. No, but the VPA egg whites, right? Like actually putting cottage cheese instead of just normal cheese onto things, right? One, it's lower calorie. You also get way more protein and less fat and you get way more cheese, bruh. So like I can have 50 grams of cottage cheese and I put little dollops of that on my egg whites and I just put salt, pepper, you know, a bunch of like Mexican spices and stuff. And then on the side, I'll have cream of wheat. So again, I just make my cream of wheat by blending 100 grams of plain wholemeal flour, 10 grams of raw cocoa powder, a little bit of cinnamon, a few sweetener tablets, and like 600 milliliters of water. You just blend that with a stick blender, microwave it, keep an eye on that thing, right? Do not let it over explode in the microwave. Over explode, that sounds dangerous. (laughs) It's happened before, man, and I've nearly shed tears. Okay, so yeah, keep your eyes on that thing. Uh, So I usually make chocolate cream of wheat and then on top I'll usually either put like 10 grams of cacao nibs or 10 grams of pumpkin seeds and then 10 grams of macramike peanut butter, which is really good. And then on the side, I always have a piece of fruit and I've been digging the candy melons, man. Like melons are so awesome. And it's funny because they were the last fruit that I would eat in the improvement season, right? But during prep, there's nothing quite like having half a melon and just a baby teaspoon and just like eating out of a melon, right? It's really freaking good. So yeah, I've got my egg whites, my cream of wheat with peanut butter, and uh, a melon that's definitely Mm. my favorite meal yeah that sounds good and something that is similar to me like I have all those other than the melon I have those foods at other parts of the day at the moment as well Mm -hmm. like I have my cream of wheat I also am using the VPA egg whites now so yeah we take inspiration from each other absolutely you know but we've still got flavor there right super satiating and again it's that illusion that you're eating more because if you can spread these things out on the counter you're like wow all this food's going in my belly right (laughs) and it's really not all that much food at all it's just a lot of water to be honest (laughs) going to the bathroom very soon after oh yeah i swear my diet's like one of the reasons why i pee so much like you know you pee a lot you know when you're dieting regardless but Mm. like given that i'm usually drinking like a liter and a half of water with every meal in my food as well yeah definitely contributes (laughs) oh something that i've actually found is that in at the starter prep you'll be testament to this like i was 
I was drinking my normal amount of off-season water in prep mm-hmm. and maybe even a little bit more to help satiate me, but it just wasn't doing me any favors because I was literally going to the bathroom every 10 minutes. So basically what I've done is I do drink in the morning and like around my workout, but then I basically won't have much hydration from water other than my food. Otherwise, like, yeah, I'm living in the bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing worse than waking up multiple times during the night, right, to pee because mm. it just disrupts your sleep. And sometimes, you know, when you're on lower calories, it's really tough to get back to sleep. Yeah. Hey, guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching the Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Cool. So we'll head in on to the last question of the day, or maybe the second last one. See how we go. How many calories should you increase each week when reverse dieting? I think this is a good question, you know, but I want to hear like how, when you're reverse dieting with a client, how many calories do you increase by? So would you like to assume that this is a comp prep or a normal, like a standard diet? I think let's just do standard diet, yeah. right? Cause we're like, we're skipping through the recovery diet. This is really the, a reverse diet. Mm. So I think the first thing I look at is, okay, how much were they dieting on and how much were they on before dieting? So, and I use that to basically give myself an informed answer and I don't really use an equation or anything like that because at this stage, I don't need it and I feel better off and comfortable without using one. So for example, I might look at their current macros and then look at the macros before and probably reduce the macros by 10% from where they started dieting. And then that's basically taking into account adaptive thermogenesis. So when we diet, we basically adapt to those calories thermogenically with our metabolism. And that that's why we can't just go straight back to our same macros before or calories before, and not to mention the weight that you've lost as well. So I usually take about at least 10% off, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less and, and go from there. And the, the, the primary goal in the first couple of weeks or the first week is, is try and just get that initial response to the increase in calories. And that'll kind of define where we go from there. So if someone drops weight again in the first week, then obviously that's going to be another bump up in carbohydrates. And, and they're asking how much would you increase yeah. by? So it, again, it just, a lot of this is now it just informed intuition on, on my part. And I'm sure it's the same with you as well. And for example, if someone dropped by, I don't know, 100 grams, that's not very much. I'm just going to do a 25 gram bump up in carbs. I think both of us, we don't really manipulate energy less than 100 calories really because it's with the tracking software that people use it's very difficult to track less than that and also you have to assume that this person's tracking very accurately and tracking to a t yeah right like if you're doing these minute little like increases Mm. like and yeah like you said anything under 25 grams of carbs or anything under 100 calories man, that's just within the error range. You know, if you up someone's fats by like two grams a week, (laughs) what a joke, all right? Mm. And I'm not even going to apologize for that because that's just silly, okay? Even things like having, again, I'm just more spitballing here, but like 67 grams of fat a day. Like either have 65 or have 70. Like 
What, and why, then again, why give them, give them an, an option, right? People don't have to hit things to the T, you know, depending on what phase a client's in with us, you know, you say like, all right, if someone's deep in a prep, yeah, plus or minus two grams. If someone's really strict in another dieting phase, maybe plus or minus five grams. If someone's like a lifestyle client, like plus or minus five to 10 grams, you know, and as long as protein and calories are pretty much equated, like fats can go up a little bit, carbs can go a little bit down as long as it all balances mm. out. But if you're making those tiny little adjustments down to like the gram, I'm sorry, but like that's just inaccurate in itself. Yeah. But I uh, get back to what I was saying. <laughs> Based on the amount that of which they've lost or gained after that first week will then dictate uh, like even I might even pull back food after that first week if I've overestimated their calories. So that's um I mean, I can't exactly or we can't exactly teach people how to coach themselves or how to coach because it's a podcast and we've developed these skills over time and we're dietitians but that's kind of like a general guide of like how we do it it's very much based on how they respond so we get that initial response and then manipulate from there based on how they change yeah the way i'm interpreting this question you know is more for like a lifestyle client right Mm -hmm. so if i take a lifestyle client through a dieting phase and then they celebrate that in some way you know perhaps by like doing a photo shoot or they've just achieved their goal weight then pretty much when you implement a reverse diet right they've achieved this new body weight that in most cases it's actually a sustainable body weight for them you know they're not like dieting down to the body fat levels of a competitor Mm -hmm. so in that case right if they've achieved their goal body weight then reverse dieting them essentially the goal ultimately is to maintain around that new body weight give or take a few hundred grams for at least the first few weeks and just reverse diet them so that you get their metabolic rate back up and that's why you actually do need to take it quite slow right like initially you do do that first bump up in food by a few hundred calories but after that depending on how their body weight and how they're responding that's when you start doing these little increments but i'm the exact same from the get-go you know i would increase by quite a few hundred calories to get them back up to a predicted maintenance Mm. and then following that depending on how they're responding i would pretty much just manipulate carbohydrates because after i do that initial bump up Protein's always going to be around at least two grams per kilogram. Fats are going to be anywhere between like 0.75 to one gram per kilogram of body weight. And then carbohydrates make up the remainder of the calories. After I've initially got up there from the get-go, you know, any additional calories coming in usually are from carbohydrates, right? And again, I just do that in 25 gram increments Mm. unless, you know, someone metabolically adapts which a lot of people do yeah right i mean that's being human like yeah we have to adapt exactly so if you start noticing a trend you're like you know i put up carbohydrates by 25 grams you know last week but this person dropped another 300 grams on average this past week like i'm not just going to put up by 25 grams again because the same thing's going to happen so Mm. let's just go up by 50 grams right and see what happens and like on that note i think based on the client and this is where Uh, individualization and personalization is so important is based on how a client perceives weight gain will determine how aggressive we are like if someone in your situation there when you said 50 grams if that person is a bit cautious of weight gain they might have had body image issues in the past 
then maybe you would do 25 grams again, mm -hmm. let them adjust to that rather than doing one 50 gram increase because that's a big increase. Yeah, absolutely. But again, this comes down to working with long-term clients, right? And hopefully people are coachable and you always give reason behind, mm, right? 100%. Things, you're not I always just... give, I always give my, and this is something I say in the first consult all the time. I always give people more than one reason or more than one route that we can take. So I'm not just going to say we're doing it this way and only this way because it's the most evidence-based mm. reason. Like I my way or the highway. Yeah, I say we could do this way. It would take longer, might be a little less optimal, or we could do it this way and it would get us there a bit faster, but you would have to grind a bit harder or, or whatever. And like, for example, tracking macros versus an intuitive eating approach. Like they get you to the same destination, but in different ways. Yeah. So, you know, you're always justifying these things and you're always laying things out on the table and you're involving the client, right? It's not a dictatorship. It's mm. a partnership. And you're always discussing, Hey, there's a few different options here. What do you think would work best for you? Yeah. hundred percent. Cause it's not, it's not what would work best for us. We're not doing it. We're just yeah. helping them get there. So it's about the client, not the coach. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're definitely more than macro coaches. Even when I give someone an increase in food, I will go through their MyFitnessPal with them and I'll be like, okay, cool. So based off what you're eating right now, we want you eating an additional 25 grams of carbohydrates. How are you going to add that in? And we make a plan from the get-go together so that they have an idea, right? Mm. And then I also have an idea and I can give in my input too. I'd be like, okay, cool. Why don't, you know, we front load a bit of that and put, you know, 12 grams at breakfast and 12 grams at lunch or, Hey, you know, your pre-workout meal, it's looking a little bit small. How about we add an extra piece of fruit there? Giving them, you know, a plan rather than just giving them macros and just say, carb increase off you go have fun mm. like yeah it's gonna be fun but i think that people really appreciate that extra level of detail yeah definitely especially if they're unsure about what where they should implement those carbs mm -hmm. yeah well hopefully guys that was helpful in mm. how to potentially reverse diet but remember you know there's no one perfect way but best advice is just track as much data as you possibly can <laughs> cool one more question or wrap up here yeah let's do one more cool so this one says low calorie caffeine sources for a pick me up that aren't tea or coffee. So that's kind of tough because I feel like tea and coffee are two of the best caffeinated sources that are mm. going to be lower calorie. Mm. The only other thing I can think of is really drinks that have caffeine yeah. added to them. Like if you have an like energy tea, drink, <laughs> tea and coffee are nutritious, which is a misconception. They contain, especially coffee. They just contain like phytochemicals and stuff like that. I actually read a statistic once that said that, for a lot of people in the US, apparently one of their best sources of antioxidants is black coffee. <laughs> I'm not that surprised. <laughs> oh man, please guys, eat your vegetables. <laughs> so yeah, all I can really think of are energy drinks mm -hmm. and no-dose pills and pre-workout. I was thinking about this too and I was thinking about caffeinated gum. Mm. I've personally never had caffeinated gum, right? But you know, that is a thing. So if you know, you're dieting and you want to pick me up and you want to chew on something, you could always consider caffeinated gum. Mm. And I guess the only other thing I'll mention, because I, I see this as kind of like a first world problem, not going to lie, but like, how do I get more caffeine in? But adding caffeine powder, which I don't recommend to the foods that you're eating. Mm -hmm. I, I would never recommend buying pure caffeine powder unless you're a thousand percent certain 
that you have good measurement tools for doing that because it is really dangerous. Oh God, dude, you could literally give yourself a heart attack. Because remember, like caffeine is measured in milligrams, Mm. right? So if the recommendations are to consume between three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight, that's milligrams, that is not grams. So let's say me, right, uh, at 60 kilograms consuming three to six milligrams per kilo of caffeine, that's anywhere between 180 to 360 milligrams, Mm. right? Our scale only does grams, (laughs) so that's a third of a gram. That's gonna come up as zero on our scale. So dangerous stuff, you know, so. And I have seen horror stories where like more adolescents because they're just not as practiced in this department, but they'll they'll do okay i'm having five huge serve 500 milligrams of caffeine and then they'll weigh out five grams Mm -hmm. and they'll have like a a seizure or something and they have to go to the hospital and you're right they do almost have a heart attack and and stuff like that which is not good and why i don't recommend it i mean i'm actually surprised that they sell pure caffeine powder yeah i know that is a it's literally a drug. Yeah, right? it's a stimulant drug. And the reason why I always remember that it's milligrams and three to six milligrams is because I actually got that question wrong uh-huh. in our very first sports nutrition course. Did they t- try and trick you with the grams? Oh, I was silly. Okay, so obviously I was like 17 years old. Okay, we were in our first semester of uni and we were doing this very first sports nutrition course and one of the multiple choices- It was choice, more general nutrition. Yeah, but they had some sports nutrition in there. But you know, one of the multi-choice questions was how many milligrams per kilogram of body weight should someone consume of caffeine as an ergogenic aid to see mm. performance improvements, right? And the options were like three to six, 300 to 600, you know, like 1,000 to 5,000 kind of thing. And I was only 17 and I actually hadn't drunk coffee then. I mm. never drank coffee. That was before meeting me. Exactly. I didn't drink my first coffee until I was 19 years old. And Jack and I were in the middle of a study group and I was like almost falling asleep. And he was like, do you want a coffee? And I'm like, I've never had that mm. stuff, right? And then Tierra got addicted to caffeine. I did, right? But I will never forget because again, I, did, I didn't know anything about caffeine and milligrams. I'll admit I actually didn't read that paper that the professor had posted. So, which I very should have. But uh, I think I picked some crazy number, you know, like, you Mm. know, you should have like 1000 to 5000 milligrams of caffeine before a workout or just something so crazy. But yeah, anyway, that's my little story. Mm. I'll never forget. I only I only remember the questions that I really got wrong at uni. And they still bother me to this day, you know? Well, yeah, I think that's more good than bad. Because like, so. you don't have to remember that st- much stuff then. I guess so. That yeah. was a compliment in case oh. you didn't realize. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on, you know, very last question of the day is one thing that we learned this week. Jack, what did you learn? So I learned that Apple, the company, they kind of rely a lot on their brand name. And at the same time, they do put out some, I don't know, Everyone has a different stance on Apple, but I think they put out really quality products. But compared to, I I recently bought a MacBook Pro, literally two days ago. I've had my MacBook Air for six years, which is just crazy. And it still works well, but it's just not up to scratch in terms of video editing. And now that we're doing more YouTube stuff, I need that next level. So yeah, I purchased a MacBook Pro and just comparing it to other laptops with similar specs, they really like to make the most of that brand name Apple. Let's just say that. But again, I still bought it because I like the company and 
I feel like I'm not going to go into the human rights sort of stuff, but I think they put out quality products and like I have an iPhone as well. So AirDrop, the compatibility is all worth it for me. Yeah. I personally love Apple. You know, I've always had iPhones and sometimes I'm actually surprised when someone doesn't have an iPhone, you know, Mm. they still have a Samsung or a Nokia or something else. And I'm like, a what? (laughs) (laughs) So I can't AirDrop your photos. You know, I have to Facebook messenger them. (laughs) That was the, one of the best decisions was, uh, converting my parents to iPhone because it made airdrop so much easier Mm -hmm. on those family holidays. Yeah, absolutely. But what did you learn this week? So this week I learned that sometimes when someone has a bit of a prep brain or a bit of a diet brain, right, that can actually, like if they say something really silly, if you are dieting yourself, you will actually take on their exact same train of thought. Because one of my clients, she's going through a dieting phase right now, and she normally wears her Fitbit tracker on one of her wrists, right? And she messaged me saying like, you know, Tara, I have this really bad infection on my wrist, so I can't wear my Fitbit. So would you mind if I just intuitively tracked my steps for a few days, right? Like I usually always walk the same amount. And I saw that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, absolutely, right? Just like keep up your activity, do your normal walks, right? She messaged me the next day and she's like, I had the biggest prep brain moment. I did realize that I have a perfectly fine and healthy second wrist (laughs) that I can put my Fitbit on my other wrist. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think of that either. Mm. So, um, even your pocket. I use, I don't even use my wrist. I use my pocket, but like it didn't read because she made the point, right? I was like, Oh yeah, that's logical. You have an infection. You can't wear your watch, right? Oh wait, you have another arm. (laughs) So yeah, I just thought that was absolutely hilarious. So if you're speaking to someone else who's dieting, right. And they say something just absolutely ridiculous. It might actually rub off on you that you might actually believe it too. And you just take that as truth. When you yawn, someone else yawns. Yes, exactly like that. Right. It's like (laughs) telepathic silliness, right? Yeah. Boy. Awesome. Well, (laughs) that's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, you can repost it onto your Instagram story. Tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. Leave a review if you're feeling generous. And we'll catch you next week. Bye, guys.